Would you like to introduce the show? No. Will you? <laughs> well, it's part of unraveling, so I thought maybe you want to give the introduction. Well, I was thinking about it. I think it'd, it'd be nice to share it. Collaborative. You know, an I, thou, unraveling religion collaborative. Depends on what the uh, purpose of unraveling religion is. I think, well, if we're talking about I, thou, Martin Buber's I, thou... We're not. What Unless we? that's part of unraveling religion. Well, where did you get the, the theme for I, thou? From Martin Buber. Yeah. But this is not the I, thou video, I, thou video series. No, I understand that. But yeah. I think that, you know, what is I, thou but relationship? Oh. Mm-hmm. And so, I think, I mean... Unraveling religion, I would hope, is just an exploration. And one of the things you could explore is relationship. Can I start with something I wrote in my notebook? I I would love that, yeah. As a planet, we have come to the end of living and the beginning of surviving. It's heavy. We're sitting here listening to electronic uh, crickets and campfire, and uh, we're reading reading that. You know, I think it, there's something poignant about that. We're not we're not in the woods with a with a campfire surrounded by trees and grass and night stars, right? Right. With like, so you look. What is what is the element that is missing? You know, it's energy. It's like what what does nature provide us? But like. Besides the beauty and the the connectedness, there's like a there's like an undercurrent of something very very restorative in nature. Well, is nature out of balance? Right. So we could look at things from so many different perspectives. In one sense, of course, yeah, the planet the planet is trying to rect the the planet is a little bipolar. I mean, it's trying to correct itself. It's trying to rectify itself, and it's confused. It's too much, there's too much carbon in the atmosphere. There's just too much shit going on. There's just too much awful stuff going on. That's just not organic. It's not. <clears throat> not that it isn't meant to happen, but it's. It's a. Uh, it seems like, through our desire to. Gain or. Uh, commercialize everything. Everything seems a commodity. So we sell everything. We sell we sell forests. Right? Oh my god. What are we doing? For money? And are you Do you have a solution? I well, mean, yeah, no, I do because I, it's a good question, and I think it's a fair question. Yeah, except I didn't mean like a solution, like you are going to solve it, but do you have a way to make it move in the right direction? Well, I, I can offer only my perspective. I don't know whether it's a solution or, or like a, a fully baked plan, you know. But mm-hmm. I would say that. The beauty of the seasons and the beauty of 
the cycles of, that we see within nature, on earth, and everywhere, everywhere, is things come this way one, in one way they're unrepeatable, but everything repeats itself. Patterns repeat themselves. There's spring, summer, winter, and fall. And it comes again. So you can plant trees. You can pick up garbage. I'm sure that through the scientific advancements that have caused such difficulty to our environment, that same technology could be pointed to solve those problems. Why wouldn't it be? It's just a matter of intention. It's a matter of intending to do so. You know, a matter of applying the science toward things that solve and not create problems. Uh, this was in the news this week. Yeah. Uh, Obama, he uh, passed very strict guidelines for how much carbon can be put in the air by the United States factories. Mm -hmm. And the biggest people who put the most carbon in the air are coal-burning power plants. This week, Trump rescinded all those regulations. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, he, certainly we are free to choose our path and make choices. When those choices have consequences for a large-scale mass of people and beings in the planet itself, you know, I don't think that we make decisions in a vacuum. I think what I do affects you. You know, what I, what I do affects, you know, it's the micro-macro. I may do things um, for one reason or no reason, but that affects both my environment, my community, my planet, the cosmos, the vastness of, like, what is, but also within me. It's, it's not separate, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just one. And so when, 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 Trump, when Trump does this stuff without even recognizing the laws of like causation and karma or you don't even have to look at it from a spiritual lens, there's just cause and effect. And he's not recognizing that he's causing elemental harm to mass people based on greed, myopia, and really ignorance about the very nature of what life is, you know? I believe that in his mind, adding carbon to the atmosphere has absolutely no impact. Well, it has monetary impact for his cronies and probably himself. So you're looking at this, that he has a uh, incentive to help his friends in their monetary quest. From what I can see of Donald Trump, there are two main impetuses for his behavior and actually the, f the first and the second I'm not sure which comes first and which comes second mm -hmm. it's it's to promote himself to make to enhance his money power and status and I don't know what comes first chicken or the egg cart or the horse I don't think it really matters because you can see in the short term it seems to be very effective what he does but I guarantee you, I guarantee, Richard, I'm just going to sit back and watch this shit show unravel. It's going to be horrible. Are you saying it's going to go up in flames? Um, I'm just going to watch karma take its course. Hmm. 
you know, there's that old adage of uh, when the bird is alive, it eats the ants, right? Yeah. And then when the bird dies, the ants eat the bird. Mm. That's that's the law of causation. Mm. Um, <clears throat> here's something else I wrote in my notebook. Yes. We exist in a physical universe that has physical rules that dictate the consequences of our actions. Mm. The consequences of our actions determine our well-being. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we exist in a physical universe that has physical rules. So if you decide to eat junk food, right? Yep. That action will have consequences. Right. See, you're drinking coffee. That action will have consequences. Right. Well, I'm going to reach over and drink your 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 nutrition drink in a second. (laughs) And the consequences of your actions, they determine your well-being. That's true. I I mean I recognize this. One of the things that I want to bring up to you, which I know you are. Uh, innately and, and very highly sensitive to is choice bound by economics. Mm-hmm. People don't have, a f- I don't have the resources to eat well. I don't have the, we, I mean, it sounds crazy. Like, I, I have, I have like a livelihood, but like, I'm trying to rectify and restore a history that was so disjointedly unhealthy that I'm repaying loans and, um, therapies and medical bills on top of trying to live and subsist in a way that is like meaningful to me now and it's not possible and you know I feel like I'm relatively competent in what I do and I love what I do I would not change my job for any kind of amount of money mm-hmm. and yet I like so many people can't afford the basic necessities of fruits and vegetables or um, well, what about coffee can you afford that can I afford coffee why do you ask that question because you have a coffee <laughs> I do so oh, what are you saying like I, I, I made a choice right this is a true it's a choice and it has consequences that's true that's yeah. true so why did I choose this because this is this coffee was I think I got it actually at a place that I like to go to mm-hmm. um, Cafe Aroma Mm. where I have like a former or current, I don't know, you know, it's like a social environment. So Mm -hmm. I go there for a little bit for the social element because there are people, nice people that I've known. Mm. The coffee's a little more expensive. I think this coffee was $2.83. It's expensive. So the day... Relatively speaking, it's expensive for coffee. But what I'm saying is that why did I do this instead of food? So I got the social element. The caffeine suppresses my appetite, and it keeps me awake. Plus, I find it enjoyable. Mm. So, I mean... Now we're talking. What's that? Now we're talking about our the ideas that we live. This yeah. is important. It is important, because it's also genuine. It's not that I'm... I don't decidedly or pointedly make poor decisions, but while the basis of consciousness is not economics oh we disagree on that then. i know we do we've discussed this before what do you say the basis is? Well, we, we we spoke about this too i you think did? that the basis of economics is consciousness 
Mm. It's the inverse. So I think that. But what is the basis of consciousness? (laughs) We can explore that. I don't think we can ever arrive at any kind of linguistic, emotive, rational answer, which we we can we can explore it. Let's just leave it at that. Well, take for example the opioid epidemic. Yep. Uh, it starts with people wanting to take the opioids. Right. Where does that desire come from? Huh. Well, we can use opioids as an example. I think you don't need to, though. Where does desire come from? Is it inherent in our consciousness? Is it a biological basis? Is it a symptom of our spirit? Like, what do you think? I never think about that. Well, you should. You're limited by rationality in what you think about. It's, it's, it's a bit too metaphysical of a question for me. Right, but if you... If you're, I, I, see, I see it's too broad in the scope of what you presented. You were talking about opioids and desire, and where does that desire come from? Yeah. No, that's, no, that's I a s- framework. I said opioids and desire, then you brought up where does the desire come from. Right. But the de- I was talking <clears throat> about the desire for opioids. The framework that you presented was the desire for opioids. Yeah. I cut off the opioids and just said, where does desire come from? In How general. You, yeah. Just broadly speaking or specific, from your framework, where does desire come from? It just doesn't really interest me. The biological basis. What is the biological basis of desire? It's sort of like the way our brains are wired. Yep. Yep. I'm in full agreement with that. For me, you know, there's talk in the last few years about neuroplasticity. That has to do with uh, shaping your brain? Yeah. And there's also like, uh, they used to call it in the 70s, EST. Now they call it neuro-linguistic programming. Really? Yeah. Mm. I think it's a, a similar stream of like an essential therapeutic pattern or therapeutic intervention. So do you get involved with <clears throat> EST or neuroplasticity because you have some problem you're trying to overcome? No, no. I find it fascinating in my interactions with people. I mean, sometimes I've found therapies that are effective for me, I can apply to other people, mm-hmm. but it doesn't limit me just based on what I've experienced as far as like interventions that work for me. Obviously, there are a shitload of things that I don't know about therapy that I can read about or see and apply to certain situations and test it that way empirically or intuitively in the world that is not my own experience. You know, I translate or transfer my experience when I can outwardly. That's probably the most effective, the real real therapies but you know there are people who I meet who have things that I have not seen or experienced so I like to like I, I just like to try to like array myself with as much as I can to assist to, to help people mm-hmm. so neuro-linguistic programming is um, it's like uh, if you you know you go through a uh, a stream of consciousness and then the whole the whole of neuro-linguistic programming is to shock the system out of the repeated pattern that is not effective hmm. 
So you're going through this pattern, 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 and you, it could be a slap upside the head. It could be the whack on a shoulder. Mm-hmm. It could be the, the kick of a ball to the head. Mm-hmm. But that shocks the system, and it snaps the, the pattern that has not been looked at, and it shatters the pattern, breaks the pattern, hopefully. And then you reinfuse in that break right after that, I think, like a new formation of where you want to see things go. And uh, I guess it's pretty effective. I'm not sure. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how effective it is, but it, it's in theory, it seems like it may be. But you know, I don't know. Do you try to uh, use this method on people? I, I have. Yeah, I did it un- unwittingly, and then I, I look back and I was like, oh, that's NLP. And did it? Was it effective? It was effective. It was very effective. Did it uh, change the behavior? Of it the did. Immediately. It was it was very uh, very pronounced actually. Yeah. Mm. Is this something you can also try on yourself? Well, I think you need an you need an outside actor to uh, to inflict the the shattering of the pattern. You mm-hmm. know, because anything you set up for yourself, unless it's ran- randomly intermittent you're going to know it's coming. So, like, it's something that right. shocks you that you can't expect. Right, you can't uh, surprise yourself. Right, right, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it needs, like, chance. Right. Yeah, can't but, be planned. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Zen Masters of old, you know. How old? The Zen Masters of old. The, Are we talking, old? like, before the year 1000? Um... Is that important? Just want to give it some context here. Well, what Zen Masters Old would you like to talk about? Uh, I just want to know which ones you're saying it's like the Zen Masters of Old. Well, there are many adages, you know, stories of Zen Masters. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, like, what was the decade, the century these people were living in? I mean, you could... 1300s, I I don't think it matters, really. Truly, it doesn't matter, because throughout the ages, throughout um, many times and places, the spontaneity of response and and, uh, question and answer is always... uh, It can be quite transformative, transcendental, trans... uh, Just cutting across or through oneself. Mm Mm-hmm psychology and psyche into something that did the Zen masters of old use neuroplasticity well, I think it's a it's a different frame of the same medicine yeah can I read to you something else from my notebook mm-hmm we are constantly bombarded by images of unattainable lifestyles inhabited by smiling people who have no problems. But we see that the world is full of problems and we're never told what to do with the emptiness that the false promises leave behind. Right, right. This is something that you deeply think about. The effect of entertainment on the population. Yeah. It's not. It's mind numbing. It's 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 solution numbing. 
right? We could be pointing ourselves to solve or help one another instead of watching Dancing with the Stars, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, uh, there's options open that everybody has. But doesn't peer pressure sort of affect people so that it reduces the options? First of all, I have to say that this is like, I notice a subtle shift in our conversation, which I'm really, I genuinely am enjoying, um, which is that uh, I don't know, it feels very collaborative. It feels very collaborative. So when you went to Cafe Aroma, did it like peer pressure limit your choices so that you had to have a cup of coffee? No, I think it was economics. But you said it was $2 in some sense. Yeah. That's the, one of the least expensive drinks there. If not the least expensive drink, it's one of the least expensive drinks. I mean, was water out of the question? Well, wa water doesn't suppress the appetite, and it doesn't give you immediate bol bolst of energy. Um, and the taste, well, here's a, this is a whole model or template, which is a, a fantastic. Uh -huh. Why don't we, you know, that we're selling water is one thing, but people don't tend to naturally drink water the way that... I, I would think, at least I don't, right? And you have to ask yourself, it's the most natural thing in the world, and yet, because we have all these commercial choices or, like, you know, economically driven beverages, water becomes plain. It's, like, not sophisticated enough or not jazzy enough or not juiced enough, right? Yeah. But if you look at that, Richard, it's life itself, right? I mean, not, not water, but like... Well, we're learning that from the Puerto Rican experience now. What do you mean? They're desperately in need of good drinking water. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a very valuable commodity there. Yeah. And it's, uh, the, it's um, the opposite of what you're saying. And the reason I'm bringing this up... Yeah. What do you, explain what do you mean? It's the opposite of what I'm saying. What is the opposite of what I'm saying? Uh, well, you're saying that in our, in our culture here, yeah. water is not very elegant and jazzy, but it's the natural of all, most natural of all things. Right. So it's, that statement is backed up by what's happening in Puerto Rico. Right. Like, nobody would say, oh, uh, they're not could crying you, out for could, Gatorade. Could you give me a glass of champagne? <laughs> they're, not, they're not crying out for Pepsi Zero or Coke Zero. Or exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 But, you know, I wanted to carry that, that model or that template of water, just the plainness of water. Yeah. You can carry that so deeply. Uh-huh. Do you have to, do, does one have to accustom themselves to simplicity? Why is simplicity in our culture so difficult to absorb, to accept? Like, what is common? Why is common, what is common, why is that not enough? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, today, was this enough? Like, I spent most of my day truly thinking about what I was going to do next or how I was going to attain something else. Meanwhile, if I would drop back into my self, below my below my thought patterns into like quietness then a, then a tremendous shift happens I think and that shift is not, and we talk about like desire what you know the op- opioids and desire where does desire come from even from the biological basis there are desires that we have for things but desire in a, of itself is I guess a necessary part of the human condition we need to drink water we need to eat. We need to have human affection and love, right? We need to be clean. Mm-hmm. There's a need. Our dignity demands these things. That our, we have our these dignity. Things. Our oh. dignity demands these things, of course. I never heard it and put that way. Well, when you take away these things from someone, you're taking away their dignity. Can one live without dignity? Oh, what the fuck is this world doing? It's traveling through the cosmos with no dignity. Not the planet, but the people on it. Huh. I've never heard this expressed this way before. Well, I think it's uh, just true. Do you try to live a life with dignity? I don't think think that that would ever, ever be an aim or a goal. Oh. But I think I try to do things that cultivate that. So you don't try to live a life of dignity but you try to cultivate dignity so uh, right can you can you can i seek to obtain dignity why why is that not obtainable it's not obtainable because it's like a seed in you it's what you really are it's it's your very you want to talk about what is consciousness your dignity your dignity and your consciousness from my vantage point are inseparable they're one what you are is dignity richard what you are is dignity moving through this world with compassion, trying to assist what you can when you can. That's dignity. Dignity is compassion. Dignity is self, yourself, your consciousness, below your thoughts, that drive your thoughts, that birth rationality, that birth compassion. And so we're so we're so disjointed commercially, and we spoke about this, you know, the disconnect in our community with things. What does that disconnect, disembody us from? It is from our inherent dignity, you know, our, our inherent uh, our true self, what we really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how can you tell when you've met somebody who is not living with a sense of dignity? What are the symptoms? I'd rather talk about someone who I see who does. Well, see, that's an, that's a thing. Um, often you learn more about what something is by learning what it is not. I don't think Donald Trump is dignified. Okay, so that would be an example of somebody who's not uh, doesn't seem to be pursuing a sense of dignity. Now, if you'd like, I'm happy to talk about the reasons why I feel that it, that is true too. Sure, I'd like to hear that. <clears throat> so when I see that person, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder about I wonder about him a lot. Like I, I think everybody does. I'm like, 
Is it Alzheimer's? Is it narcissism? No. Is it some cosmic joke that his last name is Trump? I don't think it's any of these things, though. Okay, but then what do you think it is? I think that if our our nature's service and our nature's compassion and that that imbues us with a dignity, I think he's antithetical to that because he's so short-sighted in what he wants for himself, in identity and in name and in profit, that he trades himself, his true self, for short-term games, gains that validate his own sense of identity. I think identity is the, the is antithetical to dignity. Uh, how about his followers? Are his followers confused? I don't know. I don't know. Because he is nothing without his followers. Well, he would still be himself. Uh, he would... Wherever he goes, he would be there. Yeah, but he would kind of collapse if if he if he, all his Twitter followers dropped down to zero and nobody showed up at his rallies. Well, nobody does. They have to they have to Photoshop the uh, <laughs> you know they Photoshop all those things, so. <laughs> and that's not fake news. That's real. <laughs> Can I read something from my notebook? Yeah, please. Many people have trouble understanding social problems as opposed to individual problems. If you look at any society that has economic inequality, you're going to find the following social problems. Spousal abuse, teen pregnancy, alcoholism, nutritional deficiencies, drug addiction, emotional disorders, and racism. Yep, that's just true. And it's not what some people think, that those are all symptoms of people with weak minds or that they are weak individuals. No. It's that ideas rule societies, and those ideas have real consequences. I think that's just true, Richard, what you said. But I was trying to think of like what cultures don't have that in Western society. Oh, that don't have those problems? Yeah. Well, it's too vast of a question. I mean In what just in Western culture. Do you think that the majority of Western industrialized culture have have or has those problems? You can just take one just take the drug addiction or the alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah, it's you gotta look at it like this. The higher the economic inequality, the higher the instances of drug addiction. When the economic inequality goes down, Mm -hmm. the drug addiction goes down. But I just wanted to say to you that I wouldn't look at it from the point of view of what society has none of that. Well, what I'm trying to point to is that I don't think that any society that exists in in Western industrialized cultures that we consider, um, is it first world nations? You know, it's like first world, 
first world things, mm -hmm. they all have those elements. So like the question becomes, in the disconnection, which industrialized countries or Western countries imbue with their citizens, what's being lost? And what answer do you have to that question? Well, if you're commoditizing things, if things are a commodity, yeah. if you're selling water, yeah. you're selling water, you're, right. you're buying land. So you're saying these you're, things you're, are, are commonly held by everybody. They're not meant to be held by one person and sold to another. No, they're not. They're, they're to be shared. But what prevents us from that? It's the seeking of identity. It's the, uh, the, the, wow. the, the bolstering of identity, the seeking of identity. If you drop your identity, we can ask or answer or explore if that's possible. I mean, in this moment, if there's no struggle between us, right, then naturally we share. There's a natural respect that arises, and, and I think that that's just true. Are you aware of what happened with the rain in Brazil, uh, the Brazilian government had a problem with, it was running the water department. You know, it was the water department's job is to make sure there's clean water, make sure that there's, if there's a water break, they go fix it. They, and they bill people for their water usage. Mm -hmm. Well, the Brazilian government asked if there were any private companies that wanted to take over the water mm -hmm. um, business. And this company stepped forward. And they, they now, they purchased it from the city, so now they are in control of the water with the city's oversight. Mm -hmm. And they bill people and then they keep part of it as profit, and the rest of it they put into the infrastructure. Well, they felt they were being cheated. The company, the private company? The private company thought they were being cheated because they noticed that people were collecting rainwater mm. and like using that for their gardens. Mm -hmm. So it was bypassing mm -hmm. the water that they were supplying bypassing their profits. So they asked the Brazilian uh, legislature if they could pass a law prohibiting people from collecting rainwater. Right, right. And based on their lobbying efforts and their political yeah. contributions, yep. it got passed. Yep. The people rioted. Yeah. Like, the people said, it's one thing that you are taking a common resource like water and you're charging us for it. Right. But rainwater you're gonna charge right, us for? Right, right. Um, I think that there are things that are commonly held that are not meant to be privatized. Tell me, tell me what you think should be privatized. I don't know of anything. Um, I don't know of anything that should be privatized. Well, that would mean that you believe in the goals of communism. Uh, you can frame it that way, 
and I'm I'm talk I'm not saying that this is going to happen tomorrow, but as we evolve as people, mm-hmm. you, you could call me an an- anarchist too, you know, or a communist or a socialist, or you could call me a grassroots capitalist. It's all the same same expression in me, which, which is just a framework of language or thought that doesn't change my essential feeling that that's true and genuine. Well, I think it's a compliment to say to somebody that that the ideas that they espouse are in line with the goals of communism. Well, I took it as such, especially coming from you, because I know you uh-huh. hold that very dear. Yeah. But I think that that also can limit. People can hear that and think this or that, but like truly... There's a whole host of frameworks from, from which that expression falls, which is true. You know, the problem with capitalism is corporateness, corporations, the corporate neo-feudalism that we exist today. Capitalism in and of itself, bartering, which is a form of capitalism, if it is fair and just for you, and it is fair and just for me, then there is no problem. It's not sharedness, it's exchange, but that if it's eth- if I do what's ethical for you in the exchange, mm-hmm. grassroots capitalism, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's the same, you know, it's a different framework in communism where it's just a different lens, but it's the same, it's just respectfulness. Well, I mean, there is buying and selling in communism. Okay. How so? I mean, in, in ideal communism, there is buying and selling. But, for example, you, uh, tomorrow is a Sunday, so there's going to be a lot of football games on TV. Uh-huh. Those teams are owned by somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't know a thing about football. Nor do they care. Well, they hire people so that yeah. it can maximize their investment. The same thing happens with religion. Wow. Religion is owned by people who do not care. I guarantee you that that's true someplace. Mm. But does that, when, does, that, I, does that negate? Does that negate the spirit of what's trying to be expressed in spirituality? Well, are you? I, I was just trying to make a point about uh, you know capitalism is not buying and selling. It's owning owning by somebody who doesn't really know anything about the thing they own except the fact that they own it. Yeah, I don't know that that's true for me. It's true for you, I know, but it's not true for me. I think grassroots capitalism bartering is like. Oh, you're, you're, yeah, but what you're, I know what you're saying. Which, yeah. what you're calling capitalism, what I'm calling capitalism, are two different things. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, no, I agree with you that that's true. That what your view or lens of capitalism, mine. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm trying to describe the actual world we live in. Right. Well, I'm, and I think I'm, you're saying it could be made into X. Right. Well, yep. Or it has been in previous, or exists in some places, is that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen to this line from my notebook. Yep. I looked at those pearls hanging in the window, and I tried to imagine how, if I could wear them, how my life would be changed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's I a, mean, there's a sweetness yeah, that's sweet. yeah but I mean isn't it isn't there self-deception involved or oh, I mean that's you know that's a complex human question 
because uh, you know we we in our our appearance is important, right? To what degree that is, maybe a problem or not, but. So you think that the pearls have power? I think that our psychology imbues the pearls with power. Yeah. Is that healthy? Well, so here's the question. In ext- you know, I've come from a place in my life of extremes. And there's a teaching that I that I, I think is the, the rudder of my life, which is um, there is wisdom in moderation. And how does that apply to the pearls thing? I think that if it's a, if it's a, you know, if it's done moderately, right, so that it's not you're not spending an exorbitant amount or more than you can, or you steal them, steal them from someone else or whatever, uh-huh. you know, but that, you know, it it feels right inside you to to make that purchase and to wear them, and you feel good, and people gently and respectfully compliment you on them. They become the fodder for genuine human exchange, and like, because we have to, we wear clothes, right? We wear, we can wear like things that make us feel good and make us appealing to others. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just like if it's done in extremes, then it's problematic. Very Aristotelian of you. Uh, what are your thoughts about memories? I know that that plays an important part in your history. Yeah. Yeah, I heard something interesting. What's that? Got to put it in my notebook. Please. It's from William James. Yeah. You know, Freud and James came up, came out at the same time. Uh huh. They and they knew of each other, but they ne- and they, but they never really exchanged letters or anything. Yeah. But they saw the problems of psychology different. Yeah. But William James said this, and I find this very interesting. He said, when you have a memory of an event, Mm -hmm. I'm going to really light light a fire under you when I say this, but when you have a memory of an event, you don't remember the event. Mm -hmm. Remember your interpretation of it. No, you remember the last time you remembered it. And then, well, a year, we're and, then, the same thing. and then a year from now, when you remember it, it'll be, you remember this time that you remembered it. Mm, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. That's okay. My, it reminds me of the I, first poem that I ever wrote. Well, let's hear it. The first poem that I ever wrote. Let's see if it comes. Don't you have it in your phone? No, I have it in my head. Wow. It goes like this. <laughs> Ready? Ready. First poem I ever wrote. First poem I ever came. Goes like this. Time is relentless. Wicked seconds pass unnoticed. Like memory... uh, Like memory... Oh, shit. Let's see. Time is relentless. Wicked seconds pass unnoticed. Um, Like memories of a childhood scream... Even as you return to the actual, it is, uh, I, I'm, I can't get it, I can't get it. Well, maybe it'll come to you. Yeah. Would you like me to read a poem? Read a poem and let me see if it, I can And see it if down. it inspires you. Yeah. There's a pen, there's there a go. whole bunch of writing tools there. 
tell me when you're ready. Go ahead, I'm ready. The nights you fight best are when all the weapons are pointed at you. Yeah. When all the voices hurl their insults. When the dream is being strangled. Yeah. When your reasoning gets kicked in the gut. Yeah. The nights you fight best are when the laughter of fools fills the air, when the game is fixed and when the crowd screams for your blood, when the chariots of gloom encircle you. The nights you fight best are on a night like this as you chase a thousand dark rats from your brain and you rise up against the impossible and you walk through the flowers of defiance and move on. Where did that come from? I don't know. I, I copied it from somebody and put it in my notebook. Is tonight a night you fight best? Well, I think that that's true. There's a truth in that. I don't know that tonight is, um, uh -huh. but uh, there's a truth in, you know. Yeah. There's a, there's a honing that takes place under distress. Under stress, under like sometimes opposition. You, you rise up against opposition. I don't think you rise up. I think it, 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 it. What you are is uh, it recoils. Like that shit comes at you, and then you recoil. You know, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Would you like me to tell you something else from my notebook while you're? remembering that poem? Yeah, please. Have you ever heard of Perpetua? No, what is Perpetua? Perpetua is the name of a woman who was a martyr in 202 AD. Okay. All right. She insisted on being a martyr, even though her father and even the governor of Rome tried to talk her out of it. So she was put in jail. And the reason you were put in jail if you were a Christian is because you denounced all the other gods except yours. Mm -hmm. And the rule in Rome was, was a live and let live thing, mm -hmm. see? Uh, and that's why Rome lasted a thousand years. Mm -hmm. Because no matter what religion you were, you were accepted. Just don't step on anybody else's religion. And the Christians didn't, do, they didn't follow that. Yeah. So she's put in jail. She's visited by many Christians. She even got pregnant in jail and had a baby. She gave the baby away as she was going into the arena where the animals were. Uh-huh. And she walked into the arena, the Colosseum, and just invited all the animals to eat her. Oh. And the animals stared in disbelief because they couldn't smell any fear whatsoever. Oh. So the governor was embarrassed that the animals wouldn't go after her. So he sent in a gladiator and he said, would you just go finish her off for the crowd? So the gladiator went in and held his sword at her throat and his hand began to tremble because oh. he saw how fearless she was. Yeah. And so she had to grab his hand and push the sword into her throat hmm. and the crowd was silent. What does that tell you? The crowd had never seen anything like that in Rome. Give me your interpretation. I don't even know what to say about that other than that's uh, 
That's a level of discipline rarely seen in human beings. I think I got the poem. I'm ready for it. Uh, this is it. I don't know if this is all of it, but it goes, Wicked seconds pass unnoticed, like a howling wind or memories of a childhood scream. You can never return to the actual. It is but a memory. So it sort of addresses the William James position. Yeah. Well, it do, I mean, the William James position, position sounds to me like uh, memory is built on memory. Yeah. And you're saying that... Uh, in this poem, are you addressing that at all? Are you saying memory is built on the real event? No, I'm saying that there's... Right, I'm saying memory is memory, and the actual event is the actual event. I see. So you're, you're, you're clarifying, and you're saying don't confuse your memory with the actual event. Right. It's not, it's not distorting the actual event, and it's not distorting the memory, it's just separating them. So it is appropriate that you brought that up in response to the William James thing. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think I have this in its 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 exact form, but that was essentially it. This is the first poem that ever came to me. Is it written down somewhere? Yeah, I have it on a sheet of paper someplace. And oh. I, I know, you know, it's funny when you, when I recite a poem and I get it right, I know inside myself that that is true. Like, I, you feel, I feel it. So you're... Your inspiration is, uh, does it come from another source? Because uh, you said it came to you. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think, I think like everything comes, you know, it's like sensitivity. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't think of things as mine. Like in my, in my narrative in myself, mm -hmm. that's my work is to, to negate what I think is mine. Because hmm. I think everything is given here. Hmm. I don't think that, and I think that that's the problem with identity is that there's the illusion of ownership of propriety. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, you can talk about it from a Jewish lens, right? That there's a, there's a tractate in the um, Talmud that likens this world. We are like poor men. Hmm. And the owner of the house, the Baal Bait, is the true owner and the creator. And so if you don't recognize that you are a poor man, you may think you are a rich man. You may think you have many things, but you're not seeing things in proper relation to the true source. And if you see things in relation to the true source, then you understand that you are a poor man at the Sabbath door. And then only then can you operate from a basis of truth what is truth? I don't know what truth is, and we could discuss it, but I know that an, an expression of truth is humility. Because if you have humility, then you are seeing your proper self in relation to what has created you. Because everything is given. How can you boast at all? It is all a gift. Then the question becomes, what do you do with the gifts? Do you use them for yourself? Or do you give them away like it has been given to you? You know? Mm -hmm. So... I mean, I like your thoughts on ownership and identity. 
Yeah. It doesn't matter what lens we see them through either. And we, I think we arrive at similar places, Richard. Listen to this line from my notebook. Yeah. Some people have books in which they write comments in the margin by yeah. hand. And sometimes they'll let you borrow a book, and as you're looking through it, boom, you go right to those things that they wrote. <laughs> now, this is the metaphor. You ready? The world is one of those books. <laughs> we all write notes that are outside the script that the culture is imposing on our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's important that we do so, too. Very much. Do you have any poems from you, from yourself? Ownership. Stay away from ownership. No, but I mean have, that you've written, that have come through you, or that you've written. You're flirting with ownership. Come on, guy. Are you just being self-effacing for no reason? I'm saying I don't believe in ideas and ownership. That What you just said resonated with me. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> well, so, I, I mean, because I write, I, I have poems come through me. Right? Yeah, right. Do you have stuff that comes through you? Everything in this notebook comes yeah. through me. Okay, I like that, too. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. see where you're going with that. Yeah, it's not an ownership thing. No. So, how much time do we have left? We have about six minutes. Okay, listen to this line. <coughs> You're going to love this. Okay. You're going to love this. Yeah. I predict. Philosophy is like a window pane. We see, through, we see truth through it, but we're still separated from the truth. To experience the truth, you have to go outside. <laughs> or or shatter that? the pane. <laughs> I love it. I love that. That that was terrible. I'm sorry. I didn't. I said it. it was yeah, like but a what pun, about but when the cold weather comes? Yeah. Well, listen. <laughs> that's real life. <laughs> the baffling, most quizzical line. The last line written by Thomas Aquinas. Uh-huh. What do you know about Thomas Aquinas? Not much. He was uh, a student from a very early age. His father was wealthy, so he was always sending him to schools and universities and stuff like this. This is in, like, in the 1300s. And uh, then eventually he just started writing. Mm. And the... Catholic Church was impressed and encouraged him to write more about the doctrine of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. So he spent his life writing this huge book, uh, you know, the doc fundamental doctrines of the Catholic religion. And then he wrote, wrote more about things after that and more about things after that. The last line that he wrote before he put his pen down for good was, all that I have written seems like straw to me. Mm -hmm. 
What's your interpretation of the last line? I, it, to me, it feels like you're genuinely wondering. You're, like sometimes I think you ask things because you think it's a certain way, but tonight it feels like you're genuinely wondering. And I'll tell you this, Richard. Yeah. We've talked about this before, but I think what he was saying from my vantage point is yeah. that. So what is, what is the James, William James's book, Religious Experiences? What is that? What is the title of it? I'd have to look it up. It's something about religious experiences, right? I don't know. Yeah. Could you look it up real quick? Uh, I don't have the ability on here. You'd have to look it up on your phone. Okay. This is like an electronic notebook. But what I think he's talking about with straw... Yeah. Was he saying, like, it's all a bunch of BS? <laughs> I don't think he was saying that at all. Thank you, because that's what I, I needed to know. I don't think he was saying... I think he was just saying the opposite, that language can only contain so much. And as he was ebbing away from, from the physical, the physicality, and leaving behind all the ways that we communicate and understand one another... What he was trying to communicate probably approached him in a clear experiential way where language begins to fail. And it's the, ver the varieties of religious experiences mm -hmm. is, uh, is William James's book. And it's, it's in stark contrast to Freud because Freud, Freud was a biologically based psychologist, right? Yeah, uh, I guess you could say that. I mean, yeah. Hmm. yeah, I think he said, I think he would say the subconscious is a part of your brain. Yeah. Well, that, that's a fascinating thing because I've, I've heard things and I've experienced this myself where I think that it's not a part of your brain. The body is the subconscious mind. The body itself is the subconscious mind. I mean, you look at the brain, brainstem, spine. Mm -hmm. When I've gone for like therapeutic massages, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they'll hit a point someplace on my leg, on the back of my leg or my uh, calf, mm -hmm. in a memory long lost, forgotten, that was profound, maybe painful, mm -hmm. pops into my mind. Mm -hmm. Because if we can't process things, as they come and we suppress or repress them, mm -hmm. I think that memory is stored in our body because our body is our subconscious mind. See, this brings us back to memory again. Yeah, it does. Fascinating. Yeah. Stored memory. Yeah. All right, say goodbye to the people. <coughs> well, um, hey, Richard, you know, I, I drive in from Rochester for this, and I'm always so grateful to share time with you. You know, mm -hmm. you are my good friend, and... Um, it's such an honor to be uh, with you and, and enjoy friendship in, in, a, in a like in a mutual like respectful way, you know. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs>